0: Hello and welcome back to episode number six of Quality Dairy Sports Radio. I am your host, Ryan Dairy. This week we have uh, a lot happen. Lions got a win on the road in, San, in uh, well, San, Los Angeles, not San Diego no more. Michigan went to Penn State, ran the ball down their throats, got a win. Uh, Red Wings not looking good once again this week. Went one and two. Uh, college basketball is back and started up. Michigan Wolverines began their season. We'll talk about them some, maybe a few other things. But, uh, yeah, let's start with the game yesterday. The Detroit Lions went on the road after their bye week to play the Los Angeles Chargers. Really good game overall. Back and forth. Lions end up getting a walk-off. Field goal for the win. We were tied at 38. Got the field goal, 141 38. A lot of scoring in the game. Like I said, the the offenses went up and down the field. Gibbs went over 100 yards combined with rushing and, and catches. Montgomery had over 100 yards coming back from that rib injury. Good to see him back with those two guys both in the backfield. I mean, you could probably talk at that, of them being the best tandem of running backs of any team. And then Amon Ra went over 100 yards receiving. Really good game from us. We moved the ball. Defensively, Defensively, we just couldn't really get much pressure on the quarterback. Herbert had time back there to throw, and he was on his game yesterday. A lot of big passes. He was on point. His The ball coming out was perfect. It was beautiful, the passes he was throwing. Uh, Keenan Allen had a big game. Once again, one of those guys that's been around for a long time every year. Puts up big numbers. Yeah, it was back and forth. A lot of going forward on fourth down by both teams. The refs made their uh, name in the game with some questionable calls. I'll say that against the Lions. Some questionable pass interference calls that... uh, put more points on the board for the Chargers but uh yeah overall really good game by the Lions we got the win that's the biggest thing we got the win on the road in a tough environment well i shouldn't say that not a tough environment it's los angeles it's mostly a home game I'll say this on the road against a tough team who has the talent to be really good but for some reason they just they just don't seem to put it all together every year. And that's been happening for the last 15 years, even when they had uh, Phillip Rivers and LT and stuff. But, yeah, a lot of going forward on the road for us on fourth down. Paid off every time except one, I believe. We we They stopped us one time when we went forward on fourth down. In that uh, second quarter, I believe it was when we were down by the goal line but other than that stop we uh converted all of our thirds our fourth down conversions especially end of the game sandy uh I keep on say San Diego they're still San Diego to me but uh when the Chargers went down the field got that touchdown to tie it up right off the kickoff we got that little uh pass back across the field to Reynolds or not Reynolds, but uh Raymond, who ran it down to like the forty yard line. Three plays, it was fourth and two with about a minute forty six to go. We were in field goal range for sure. Los Angel or yeah, Los Angeles had one timeout. Instead of kicking the field goal, which had been about forty five yards, we decided to go for it. Goff, completed the pass. Two Sam Laporta, which basically sealed the game for us. We were taking a couple of knees then, kicked the winning field goal at the end. And I gotta say, even I was a little skeptical of going for it right there. But with with I can't. It's hard for me, being a Lions fan, knowing what we've been in the past, and when we go for it so much on fourth down, most of the time I'm I'm good with it there's a few times I want the points most of the time I'm good with it and I think I I just have my mindset has to change into being comfortable going for it in all situations it's just hard the years and years of loss and struggle that we've had and now with this team with Dan Campbell the belief that they have that on every play every fourth down conversion that we can get it no matter what, no matter where we are in the field. It's like he's been consistent with it too over the last couple of years. It's just it's just hard to get it through your head and become, become comfortable with it. But I eventually will, but in the end, it sealed the game for us. If we had kicked that field goal, gave him the ball back with a minute 40 when one timeout, there's probably a good chance that they might have went down the field and scored a touchdown, and we would have lost. At least they would have went down the field for sure, kicked a field goal, and the game would have went to overtime. Just because of the way our defense had been playing, not being able to get pressure on the quarterback, that probably would at least game would have went to overtime. So to go for it there on fourth and two in field goal range, to be able to then convert and run the clock out and seal it with a kick at the end for the win I'll tell you what you know it's like you, there's all those memes on uh, uh, the internet of the uh, Dan Campbell has the biggest balls of any coach there is and it's true but he's instilled this in this team over the last couple years all the players believe it so I just have to I have to start to believe it, you know. I'm mo- I'm most of the way there, like I said, yesterday. I still I would have kicked the field goal personally, but you know what? I'm glad he went for it. I'm glad we converted. And you know what? Yes, down the line, there's going to probably be a game or two where when you go for it at the, for it on a fourth down, it bites you in the ass and it uh will get a loss from it, but. So far, it's worked out, and I think so it will continue to work out more times than not, especially with this team, the way this team is built, and the belief they have. So, I'm good with it. Now, we are 7-2 and two after that win atop the NFC North. Minnesota won again yesterday somehow. They just keep winning, so they're 6-4. and four. We're only a game ahead of them, but they still have their bye coming up. But, uh, yeah, we're 7-2, and two, sitting in good position, second in the standings, only behind the, league, the Eagles overall in the NFC. This week we're back home going against the Bears. Should be an easy, easy game. It's like I don't see this team, compared to previous teams and stuff, having any kind of letdown. This team is driven and motivated. They're not going to play down to competition. They, you know, they, they don't. They don't give up games that they should win. So I feel very confident that this Sunday coming up will win by 17, maybe 20 against the Bears. Yeah, it's a divisional, but Fields probably still isn't playing. They have their backup quarterback in. Even with Fields in there, they're not a good team at all. So go into this next Sunday, get a win against the Bears, and then we go into Thanksgiving Day annual tradition. So uh yeah, Lions looking good. I think the most also one of the most impressive things is coming off a bye. A lot of times especially being a Lions fan, a lot of times coming off the bye week, we played atrocious. This team was ready to go. Had that off week, got healthy, Montgomery was back, some of our interior linemen were back. This team was ready to play from the start in that game, coming off a of bye week, it's like it's a it's a different team, it's a different mindset. They're motivated, they're looking good, and like I said, we're top of the NFC North, second overall in the NFC. So we just gotta keep rolling, keep rolling, because it seems like Minnesota just has a magical touch right now. We play them at the end of the year, two of the last three weeks, so that's where a lot of it's gonna come down to. But as for now, we just keep rolling, keep rolling, take it game by uh, day by day, game by game. You know, keep this going, keep this momentum going. So, uh, yeah, that was the uh, the uh, Lions for this weekend with a big win. So, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to Michigan. A lot happened. So the Big Ten decided, and I don't know how to research this and how to do it because all the articles are this. The Big Ten commissioner himself decided to give Jim Harbaugh a three-game ban from coaching. So basically the final three games of the season against... Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. Like I said, I don't know how you research this and find out, but as far as I know, as far as I've been alive and have been following, this is the first time ever that a commissioner of a league has stepped in and suspended a head coach for something that, One has not been completely proven or shown evidence in by the NCAA. After two weeks, three weeks since it came out, they step in, or I should say Patetti or whatever his name is, steps in, and bans the head coach of a football team for the final three games of the season in season, before an NCAA investigation is done. I can remember a lot of times where a college itself, the college program itself has suspended a coach. Or, like I said, after an investigation, the NCAA, NCAA suspends a coach. But as far as I can recollect, there has never been a time before where the commissioner of a conference has come out a week, two weeks, two and a half weeks after a after stuff has broken, allegations have broken, and suspended a coach before the NCAA investigation has concluded without any evidence shown. Supposedly the NCA sh- showed him some stuff, showed him stuff. I don't know. nothing's been come out. We just had statements on both sides, but this is the first time ever. And as what some people have said, this sets precedent. So every time something comes up now, no matter what it is, any kind of allegation that comes up against any coach in the Big Ten conference, let alone be one kind of recruiting violation. It should be an automatic suspension. They're good they uh they are going under this sportsmanship policy, this bullshit sportsmanship policy about somehow they affected outcomes of the game because they weren't doing it fairly when everyone in the goddamn conferencing nation does the exact same thing. Just didn't get caught. And we don't even know what the NCAA even has on Michigan. Connor Stallion's resigned, so he doesn't have to cooperate with shit. He doesn't got to talk to nobody. What actually does uh, the NCAA actually have? So this is a first time that, like I said, that I can remember this ever happening from a big Ten from a... Commissioner of a sports league in college football Doing something like this So Harbaugh was not allowed to be on the sideline Of Penn State game Another spineless fucking thing that this commissioner did Was waited until Friday I didn't know this that Friday was a holiday For Veterans Day Since Veterans Day fell on Saturday that Friday was the holiday that everyone that everyone got off, well, judges and states and federally, but wait until Friday on a holiday at like 1 or 2 p.m. in the afternoon when the team was on the plane heading to Penn State, so there was no phone call or nothing where the coach had to find out from online social media. What a gutless fucking coward. This motherfucker is like you couldn't be a fucking man and call up Harbaugh himself and tell him that he has been suspended three games or call up the uh, Ward manual, the AD, and tell him that Harbaugh has been suspended three games. You leak it to the media earlier in the day. You wait until they're on a plane where they have to find out from online source from online uh, social media and stuff that this has happened. What a gutless, spineless fucking coward this motherfucker is. One, he gets pressured from all these whiny crybaby fucking coaches and ads in the Big Ten who are all doing the exact same shit because in the response letter manual sent to the Big 10 allegedly Ohio State and Rutgers shared Michigan signals with Purdue last year so they colluded together to help Purdue try to beat Michigan in the Big 10 title game he sent this uh with his thing about these other teams doing stuff and in that uh document all the photos and stuff uh there's a lot of stuff that would be in person. There's a lot of photos that are of the big tent of the scoreboard at the big house. You don't get that from on, you don't get that from uh TV. You don't get the TV watching the replay board in the big house. So that means someone was taking pictures or video of the video board in the big house. But I guess that's okay. I guess what everyone else does and these things that are coming out from these people and other teams doing the same shit is okay. It's a one-sided fucking issue, I guess. But yeah, the Big Ten Commissioner is a fucking coward, a fucking pussy. To not be able to do it man-to-man or to somebody in power at Michigan... But no, waits till they're on a plane going to Penn State on a Friday on a holiday to suspend them. What a fucking coward. He is a fucking loser coward who overstepped his boundary and listened to whiny, cryy bitches in the Big Ten and 80s in the Big Ten because Michigan is that much better than them. If you listen to anybody who talks on the issue, especially players who played, coaches, not in the Big Ten but other ones because the Big Ten guys are fucking whiny bitches because they just can't beat Michigan because Michigan has all the talent. They all say everyone does it and does it help? Does it sway the game? No. It's like just because you might know what something means, you still have to stop it. And the talent that Michigan has on this team and the right now is better than everyone else. It's like years ago when Michigan sucked, couldn't uh, beat Ohio State, couldn't, wasn't not winning titles. Guess what? The talent wasn't there. The last couple of years, the amount of first-round draft picks and the amount of draft picks in general that have been in the NFL is only behind alabama georgia and ohio state i believe and this year's team if all of the juniors decide to go who are eligible some are saying could have 18 picks in this draft which would set a record it's not about fucking signs because everyone fucking does it it's about talent this team is more fucking talented than everyone else, and everyone wants to bitch and cry about it. So, with Harbaugh being out, we go to Penn State. Shrone Moore was the, becomes the uh, acting head coach. And what do we do in Penn State? We get the win. 24, uh, 24 28, what the hell was the final score? 28 to 15. to was the final score. And Penn State got a garbage touchdown at the end of the game with a couple minutes left. Now, this game was basically a... I would say if Harbaugh was there, we would have won this game by 30. We threw the ball eight times, and those eight times all occurred in the first half. In the second half, we attempted only one pass... That was called pass interference, so it didn't count. We ran the ball 35 straight times, did not throw the ball once in the second half, and won the game. We ran the ball down Penn State's fucking throat. We were more physical and we were better all around than that team. Our defense shut out Penn State's offense. Allard at quarterback looked pedestrian the only way he beat us was with his legs a few times he could not throw the ball the running back had some plays but for the most part our defense completely shut penn state down how physical them showed that we were the superior team in today's world in the second half of a game against whatever you want to say about Penn State, at the time was a top-ten team in the country, in their place. You go in there, throw the ball eight times, eight times total in a game. In the second half, do not complete a pass. Do not attempt a pass. Run the ball 35 straight plays, And get the win. I want to see some other teams do that. Someone else do that. Michigan out physical them. Now I do think Sharon Moore was playing, I want to say, conservatively not to lose once we got up in the game, 14-9. I do want to say he didn't want to lose the game by throwing the ball a lot. He wanted to control the clock and stuff like that and just not lose instead of really trying to win. I think if Harbaugh was on the sideline, we would have thrown the ball a little more, put up more points, put put Penn State to bed earlier. But even with all that said, to go out and dominate the game like that, what are people going to say now? Before the game, all you heard was that Michigan has not played anybody all year. They have had no tests. Penn State on the road will be their first real test of the year. What are they going to do? They don't have their head coach on the sideline. Now after the game, everyone says how Penn State is frauds, they're overrated, they're no good, James Franklin sucks, and listen, all that's true to me. I never thought Penn State was much to begin with this year. But all these hypocritical fucking people now coming out and saying that the game didn't mean anything. Go fuck yourselves. That shows right there the the I don't know how to describe it. The the target that's on Michigan's back. The hate for Jim Harbaugh. The hate for Michigan. The hate for this team. People are running with this story like it's the fucking worst thing in the world. Go fuck yourselves. Sign stealing is something that happens on every goddamn level in every sport and does not affect the outcome of games. Talent. You want to know here's 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 one issue I have. You want to know what's even more uh of an advantage over any of this stuff that's more cheating I would say in the realm of the game games in college you call in a play the offense goes out there lines up the defense sets Then the offense stands up, looks to the sideline. The head, the coach, the defensive coach, or I should say the offensive coach, gets to see what the defense looks like on the field, and then can call in and change the own play from the sideline. That's more of an advantage than stealing sides and knowing what's coming. It's not the player. It's not the quarterback on the field doing this, having two plays and checking to another one. No. It's the head co. It's the coach, head coach, offensive coordinator, looking at the defense and himself, reading the defense, and changing a play. That to me is more of an advantage than fucking knowing whether it's a run or pass. Letting the head coach instead of the players on the field, especially and namely the quarterback. Read the defense, the coaches, and then changing the play instead of the quarterback. Yeah, the NCAA is a fucking joke. Hopefully, the one thing that comes out of this is we go to fucking headsets. And if we don't, all these fucking coaches who are whining and playing are fucking cowards that want to play this stupid fucking game of not being in the 21st century. And still doing signs instead of having fucking headsets and mics in the helmets of your offensive and defensive player. So next year, the NCAA should be have head have mics in the helmets and headsets and no more fucking signs. The one thing that came out of the baseball with the Astros is now you have the uh, pitch cam. Guess what, college football, it's time to fucking get rid of the old school fucking 1975 signs on the sideline. Get with 2023, put a mic in the quarterback's helmet and a mic in the mic linebacker, and come to the 21st century. And if you don't after all of this, if the rule does not change, shut the fuck up about somebody going and stealing your signs. Really, shut the fuck up, you have a chance to change it, you have a chance every fucking year to change it, and you don't, because you want that control, you fucking cowards, and then you come out and complain, anyways, Michigan goes into Penn State, gets the win, on Friday, coming up this week, is the court hearing, the inju- uh, for a injunction to get Harbaugh back on the sideline, don't know how it's gonna go. I know it's in the courtroom down in by Ann Arbor. Hopefully the judge sees through the fucking Big Ten's bullshit, puts Harbaugh back on the sidelines for the last two games. But uh, yeah. So Michigan keeps rolling, runs the ball down Penn State's fucking throat, especially in the second half. Says fuck you to James Franklin and everyone else, and we keep rolling. This week, this upcoming weekend, we are at Maryland, which will be a nice, easy win for us before heading to Penn State. This won't be a trap game. This team, with everything that's going on, is focused. It's uh, motivated. We will, There will be no let down looking ahead at anything kind of that bullshit. Everyone will be locked in. We'll go to Maryland, get the win, and set up the home game against Penn State, which then we'll really show that we are the best in the Big Ten. So, yeah, that happened. Now uh, let's move on to the Red Wings. Red Wings did not have a good week. On the week, they went 1-2 and two. to start the week, On Tuesday, they played the New York Rangers on the road. Let's just run through the scoring summary really quick. In the first period, Trocek scored to give the Rangers a 1-0 lead. In the second period, Kreider made it 2-0 for the Rangers. Trocek got his second of the game, making it 3-0. Panarin, 4-0. And then Cooley, 5-0. Rangers led 5-0 after the uh, second period In the third, Rasmussen scored for Detroit, making it 5-1. Kostin got a goal, 5-2. And then Andrew Cott making it 5-3. Once again, which has been a theme for the last couple weeks for the Red Wings, they come out and they have absolutely no life. New York, for the first two periods, was a far superior team than the Red Wings. And it wasn't even close. Just watching the game, New York was there to play. The Red Wings were there to skate around. They dominated the offensive zone. They had puck possession most of the time. They were faster. They were more physical. It's like the Red Wings just decided that it was a day off or something. And then what did they do in the third period? As they've had the last couple weeks, the Red Wings are like, huh, We're here. A game's going on. Maybe we should actually start to play. Now, yes, the Rangers sort of let up a little bit, and we scored three goals in that period, but in no way, shape, or form was that game that close. It's like the Red Wings decided to start to play in the third period, be a little more physical, start to uh, try and do something, but it's far too late, and it's the same problem we've been having. We come out, and it's like we don't know there's a game going on. I don't know if it was the beginning of the year when we had that five-game win streak, if they thought that just because of that, even though they have done nothing, they haven't played the, made the playoffs in years, that they can just walk out on the ice and win and not have to do anything. I don't know if they got in their heads after that small little win streak to win streak to start the year. But once again against New York Came out with absolutely No Effort, no passion No, like I said It's like they were just out there Skating, skating around New York showed up to play a game Michigan Michigan. The Red Wings showed up Just to skate around on the ice And then when the third period started And they said, huh, there's a game going on It's far too late So, shit needs to change I don't know what that is, but, well, I do know what that is, which we'll get into. But uh, that was the Rangers game. Then on Thursday, Red Wings came home to play Montreal. We'll go through the scoring. In the first period, Matheson for Montreal gets them on the board, 1-0. Fisher in the second period ties it up, 1-1. In the third, Nick Suzuki gives Montreal the lead back 2-1. JT Comfer got a goal in the third to make it 2-2. And in overtime, Cole Caulfield scored on the power play to make it 3-2. Once again, no life or energy in that game. Montreal is in a rebuild. They have a lot of young talent. Don't get me wrong. In a few years, especially if they can figure out some defense and goaltending, they can be really good. They also need their guys, young guys to stay healthy. But the Red Wings, as a roster, is better than them right now, and they didn't play like it. Once again, they came out lackadaisical. Like, we. they should have just, like, Montreal was just going to give them the game, and they shit the bed and lost in overtime. Yeah, they got a point out of it, but it should not have been a game like that. It should not have. The Red Wings are a better team, supposedly, than them. I I don't know if I can say that anymore because right now, the, the way they're playing, they actually look like shit. But Montreal came in ready for a game, and it showed. Yes, we got it to overtime, but once again, that game was not what it was cracked up to be. Montreal was a better team again that night. Now, the in overtime, when uh, the goalie got the penalty for holding the stick, I don't know. That's a questionable call. I guess I can see where he was sort of holding the stick, but the Montreal player is the one who went into him and sort of interfered when he was for getting rid of the puck. So I don't know all about that call, but once again, Wings came out with no life. And, yeah, just terrible. And we'll get into the issue of that game, too. Then on Saturday, they were at home once again and played Columbus. Was not able to watch this game because the game was on NHL Network, which I don't get. I don't know why they still put fucking games on that network. I guess they need something to do with it. But in the first period, Raymond got on the board first for Detroit, making it 1-0. Fabry got a goal, making it 2-0. Teixeira came back for Columbus, making it 2-1. Fantilli got a goal, making it 2-2 after one. Second period, Curley got on the board for Columbus, making it 3-2 Columbus. Then Debrinket scored, tying it up 3-3. Sprong got a goal, making it 4-3 going into the third. In the third period, Wallman got a goal, making it 5-3, and then Line A got a goal, making it 4-5. So the Red Wings hold on against Columbus at home, 5-4. was not able to watch this game, only saw the highlights, but I'm going to guess it was the same thing. Even though Detroit started faster, I believe when I was watching the highlights, they said that it was the first time Detroit scored the first goal in eight games. But I'm guessing now it played mostly like the rest of the games. Really, no energy. Maybe they count out with a little more because they jumped up, but they were down in the second, and then squeaked it out in the third. But to win five-four against Columbus at home is nothing to be proud of. And now to get over the the now to go over the overarching issue in which I see defense. I'll say it again. Our defense is pathetic. It's terrible. Jeff Petrie needs to fucking retire. His time is done. I see that in the Columbus game, he got a star. You know, the, this local thing game a star. Jeff Petrie is old and washed up. And the one example you have to... All you had to see was in the game against Montreal... There was a power play opportunity. So they called the penalty. Detroit had possession of the puck in Montreal's zone, 6-on-5. Petrie gets the puck at the blue line, fumbles it. Now the Red Wings are out of the zone. So it's still 6-5, to delayed penalty. They circle the puck around a couple times, looking to get back in the zone. Petrie ends up with it at the red line maybe our blue line and the Colum- and turns it over to the Columbus guy that was by himself and we're no it's no longer a delayed penalty they blow it to go to a regular power play Jeff Petrie was the reason that nothing happened on that delayed call He is old, he is slow, he turns the puck over. It is pathetic to watch and it is a joke that he is on the ice. And for whatever reason, he gets a pass from absolutely everybody. The coach, from Iserman, from the media. It is a fucking joke. I get that his dad was a tiger back in the day. But that should not absolve the kid from, well, he's not a kid no more. The man from getting criticism. He is no good anymore. His time is past. He makes more mistakes than he does good. He cannot play with young against younger, faster teams. Why he is still out there, I do not know, but they goddamn protect him like nobody's business. I forget which game it was now, if it was the Montreal game or the Rangers game. Gossespierre was the guy who got sat down. So it was Hall, Sharat, Mata, Petrie as your second two lines. They sat Gossipsper down, and when they asked Lalone about it, he talked about uh being a reality check for Shane Gossipsper. I think it was against Montreal or against uh Montreal where he sat, because against New York he was minus two. And Malone said, yeah, it's a little bit of a reality check. A reality check for your probably third, second, or third best defenseman on the team. You know what Shane Gossespierre is as a defenseman. He is an offensive defenseman. You know why you got him. To think that he is going to be some kind of great defenseman in the defensive zone, that's not why he's there. So you're going to give him a reality check when you know that's not his strong suit. His strong suit is uh, scoring, being offensive in the offensive zone, being on the power play, being on that right side, having that one-timer, making plays. That's the kind of defenseman he is, and you're going to punish him because he was minus two against New York because he didn't play good enough defense. When you let Petrie, Hall, Sharat get away with fucking murder, I don't know what they have against, or what those guys, or why they do what they do, but it is it is not. I don't know. I don't know. It's bullshit. Jeff Petrie gets away with fucking murder So does Hall, so does Sherratt They don't get no reality checks They sort of rotate But the coach doesn't come out and say Yeah, it's a reality check for him Because he didn't play good enough defense Shane Gossipier is an offensive defenseman You know what his role is When you got these other guys Who are supposedly defensive defensemen Shitting the bed, turning the puck over and you do nothing about it, you're now full of shit. And that's a point that I'm starting to see. I don't know if Derek Lalone is the guy for the job. He has made some fucking moves, or shit he does during games that... I trusted Iserman last year when he hired him, and more and more it's looking like, to me, he's not the right guy for the job. And you pull bullshit like that in sitting spare because against New York he was minus two. When these other guys suck, have played ten times fucking worse than him, and don't do nothing about it, keep praising them because of their age. Now you're starting to uh, talk bullshit. Like you are some kind of fucking guy who wants to run things his certain way. And if guys don't fully believe in, I don't know. There's something about him that's starting to rub me the wrong way, and I don't think that Derek Malone is going to be the guy who's going to do shit with this team or any team in the future. He's starting to rub me the wrong way, especially when you make moves like that. You make moves like that with a guy who you know his skill set, and then you can't get your team ready to ever fucking show up and play the last three weeks in the first and second periods. They show up finally in the third. And then on top of it, I don't know if it was his decision or Eiserman or if it was a combination of both, but saying it again, Simon Edmondson being down in Grand Rapids... When he's the second best player Would be the second best defenseman on our team Maybe the first Because Sider's been playing with crap too He is better than Petrie Sherratt, Hall, Mata Wallman I would say Goss is spare. He will be better defensively Or offensively And maybe right now even Sider Because Sider has not played great to have a guy down there in the minor leagues over being up when he's a better player than those guys, you're starting to see some some bullshit from Alone, especially if it's his call. Because there was an article about Simon Edmondson, uh still learning down in Grand Rapids. Still learning. It's one of those things like the gossip bear thing about reality check. Maybe he doesn't listen and do everything exactly the way you want. Maybe you're a power control freak. And the slightest little thing you want to uh, bench a guy or get on him for. That's what it's starting to seem like to me with Alone. Simon Envidson, I don't know. I have not watched Grand Rapids actually play. But. From the games I saw last year to end of the year The nine he played And what I saw During preseason He was clearly At least the number three Defenseman for the Red Wings And I sent him back down to Grand Rapids I don't know what that's all about But If this is going to start to be the Trend that we start to see And it starts to be a little lone thing Then he's not the fucking guy For the job you're basically cutting off your nose to spite your face. You have a better player in the minor leagues than guys that are playing right now. That can't happen. That is crap. So I don't know what happens. Nothing's go- I should say this. Nothing's going to happen. Because it seems like I said, Lalone is a very stubborn person coach who seems like he wants to be a control freak and ev- in charge of everything if anyone makes one little mistake you're going to get punished for it besides uh, unless you're Petrie, Hall, or Sherratt who get pra- praised for playing crappily so I don't know what kind of games he's playing but uh, I'm starting to say that he's not the right guy for the fucking job but uh, yeah this week the Red Wings go are over in Sweden for those games with uh, who are the four teams over there the Red Wings, Toronto, Minnesota, and Ottawa. They're over in Sweden playing those four games over there. So they're there at the end of the week. I think Thursday, Friday. I think they're the one team who plays the back to back over there in Sweden. The games of over there are on NHL Network, unfortunately, so I won't be able to watch them. I'll just be able to see the highlights, but uh yeah, we'll see how it goes. I don't have high hopes for us. We'll probably lose at least one of them, if not both. I know we play Ottawa first, so we might win that game just because it's Ottawa and because of that tension and rivalry, but I think our second game is against uh Toronto. We'll probably lose that game, so uh yeah, we'll see what happens this week, like I said. Red Wings are not a very good team. They aren't. From what they, sh- it's like that was a fraudulent team to start the year, especially defensively. They, they're 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 going in a bad direction, and this is not a playoff team. Tampa Bay is really just holding on to uh the that is just trying to hold on and make it to where Vasilevsky comes back, and then they're gonna skyrocket. Past everyone else, it'll be the same teams as it was last year. It'll be Toronto, the uh, Boston, Tampa, Florida in the playoffs once again. But uh, yeah. So we'll see how this week goes. Like I said, don't have much hope. Not seeing lately what this team is doing, especially defensively. You can't get better with old guys. If you put young guys out there, they can grow. Old guys are what they are. You can't change their ways. You can't make them faster. You can't make them younger. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long season for a, for the Red Wings. It's it's starting to get hard to watch games because they're playing so bad. So uh yeah, that's uh that's the Red Wings. Not a great week. But uh yeah, one thing I do want to touch on uh concerning the NHL. What the hell is going on in Edmonton? Edmonton goes on the road against San Jose, who is the worst team in the league, and San Jose beats them. Edmonton lost to San Jose and got tied with the worst record in the league. Who? There is nobody that would have said that we're like what 11 games in 12 13 games in that the Edmonton Oilers would have one of the worst records in the entire league be tied for last in the league and then after that game comes out that uh, Jay Woodcroft got fired as head coach of of that team I think there's gonna be a lot more people coming I mean I get he's the easy guy to fire I think they I think personally they should have probably uh, cleaned house of everyone him every coach on that bench every goddamn person in the front office Ken Holland get his ass out he's the one who built this shitty team gave these shitty contracts and whoever they bring in as their head coach I don't see it getting any better it's like you have no defense to speak of darnell nurse signed a big fucking contract a couple years ago making almost 10 million a year and he's not that worth that much as a player most of their guys are offensive defensemen they give up goals like crazy they give up shot attempts like crazy their goalies are terrible Jack Campbell is done in this league. Like he is done. It's over. And that's another Holland signing giving him 5 million a year over I think it was 5 years. I think he has uh the next after this year three more years of 5 million a year. Like Campbell is done in this league is nothing you can do about his contract either there is not a team who is going to take him i mean you're stuck with that you're stuck with darnell nurse's terrible contract you built this team terribly like i said they have no defense whatsoever stewart skinner who looked like he could maybe be something in the future or be a future for them last year, is off to a terrible start. Now maybe he can somewhat turn it around and sort of get back to form of last year, but it seems like he's in a sophomore slump. I mean, you're in a bad spot. And for you as a team this year to maybe not make the playoffs, and really this year as a team, maybe just be god-awful all year and have a top draft pick, That's going to be tough, and I don't know what's going to happen after this year. Like I said, this team has a ton of terrible contracts on the books that you can't get out from under. It's built terribly. All you have is McDavid and Dreisaitl out there. All these guys last year who had sort of career years, came back to reality of being who they actually are, like Nugent Hopkins and Hyman and stuff, last year every single guy basically had a career year for them and everyone now is back to being the player they were the last couple years. It's going to be rough and I don't know how you recover from this. I know if you're an Edmonton fan, this is unspeakable and unheard of and would be insane to do And but if you get to the all-star break let's say and you are just absolutely terrible you are where you are now at the bottom of the league at the all-star break where there is really no shot of making the playoffs and with way like I said some of these terrible contracts are where you're stuck with guys for years to come you're not going to be able to go out and get rid of guys and build this team differently I know it would be sort of an unthinkable thing but if your management I know that this probably will never happen though I think it would be time to fucking get rid of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Get a goddamn king's ransom for both of them in draft picks and players and start over. Because one thing that's not going to be happy, or one, two people who are not going to be happy this year with what's going on is McDavid and Dreisaitl. You could see that the last 2 years in the playoffs them going out the way they did that they want to win more than anything and losing pisses them off and makes them more makes them mad more than anything and the way like I said the way this team is built going forward why are these guys going to re-sign why are these guys going to come back I believe Drysaddle has two more years and McDavid has three. Like, there's really no good outlook for this team. And like I said, it's basically impossible and will never happen, but... And I don't even know if I was the owner of a team that I could even do it. But, man, the smart move would probably be to trade away McDavid and Drysdale, I know McDavid is just the best player in the world and going to go down as an all-time player. But you're in a bad spot. You could get a ton of first-round, second-round, third-round draft picks for him on top of players. Dryside will also a ton of first-round and second-round, third-round draft picks on top of players. You could probably, if you draft right, rebuild this team into a good team again in the next couple of years because you take those two guys off, and this team is is bottom of the barrel. It's bottom of the league with San Jose. So you're going to be picking high. You might have a few first-round picks. So maybe in another four or five years, you're back to getting in the playoffs and uh, trying to contend again. But, uh, yeah, where they are right now, they are they are not doing anything this year. This team is terrible. And like I said, I don't even know if I owned a team and had those two guys on it that I could even make that decision to part with them. But logically, looking at your roster, the way it's constructed, the money you owe guys, the amount of years that are on contracts, where you're stuck, it would probably be the best thing to do. But I can understand how it it would be an impossible decision to make. But yeah, they it is it probably has to be the biggest storyline of the year so far for the nhl and now the last little thing we'll talk about today so uh yeah this week college basketball believe it or not kicked off and michigan was in action now as you know, Michigan last year in basketball was terrible. Did not make the NCAA tournament. Did not do good all year. Had an issue. Had multiple problems from the players that were there. The top, pro, the top uh, recruits that came in could not shoot. Could not play. Hunter Dickinson. It was a bad year for for Michigan it did not work out the way anyone thought it was going to. They had the team really had no chemistry, they had no shooting. So in the uh off season, Dickinson transferred to uh Kansas. Jet Howard went to the NBA. Uh Kobe Bufkin went to the NBA. I'm so mad that I'm forgetting the other guy's name. That was there for 5 years, the point guard for us. He's gone. Uh The one guy who played center, who was in there alongside uh, Dickinson Diallo, he's not Michigan no more. I can't believe I'm forgetting the names, but that's how bad they were. The other guy who was a high recruit who could not make a shot to save his life is not Michigan no more. So this team was going to be pretty much there was going to be a whole new look and feel to this Michigan team coming into the year. And I had no, I had no idea what they were gonna look like, how they were gonna play, what they were gonna do. And so Michigan started out the year, this year, they played three games so far, and they're three and zero. They uh, beat UNC Asheville on Tuesday, ninety nine seventy four, beat Youngstown State uh, Friday, ninety two ninety. and then they just beat uh, St. John's a little bit ago, 89-73. And I got to say, this Michigan team looks really good. This team looks really, really good. They have some transfers from other from uh, other places. They only have one uh, big-time freshman that came in. I think he was a four-star. That's at uh, Washington. They have a couple guys back from last year. One who is going to be a stud and is going to be the leader for this team, who has already shown that, in Doug McDaniels. Last year as a freshman... By the end of the year, he really started to build his game up, and you can see the amount of work he put in all in this off season. He is going to be the leader. He is a, he's a point guard. He's going to be the leader for this team. He has incredible feel and touch. He knows what's going on. He's a floor general, and we have shooting. It's like we don't have any top guys that have to get the ball. It's a team this year at Michigan it's no one guy like I said Doug McDaniel is that leader and sort of I guess could be will could or be that will be that guy that go-to guy at the end of games uh as the season goes but it is a team game it's not a star t- uh team like it had, was last year and had been the last couple years. They spread the floor. They can shoot the three, which they could not do last year. Last year, they were absolutely abysmal from three. This year, they have multiple guys who can shoot the three. They can uh, be out there by themselves for the the dribble drive kickout from the corner, from the top they spread the floor. They have a couple of good guys with size inside who don't have to be dominant factors. They can do inside, they can play inside outside, but it doesn't have to go through the inside. It's like this team is a team that will at least, I will say, will make the tournament, which I did not know if that was a possibility before the year started and is a team who I say will contend a little bit in the Big Ten. I think the talent on this team and the shooting ability, especially the shooting ability, will give them a good shot to contend in the Big Ten. You know, it's like they can, they are going to, B, I think, when it's all said and done, a top-four team in the Big Ten. And a lot of that is going to come down to Doug McDaniel. The way he is playing to start the year, he is a true leader. His game is great. He scores. He is, he passes. He He's a floor general. And for everyone who watches college basketball, you know that in college basketball, the way the game is now, days over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, what wins in college basketball is having good guard play. Really good guard play is what wins in college basketball. And this year, that's what Michigan has. They have a guy, a guy who is going to contend probably even for Big Ten Player of the Year. I know Zach Eady at Purdue really has that sort of locked up and is his to lose, but McDerm- Doug McDaniel is going to contend, I think, to be one of those finalists. He is that good. What The amount of work he did in the offseason to get himself to this place is is something to see. It's like this team is going to be good. Like I said, they got some transfers. They got some guys from last year. It's not a star-driven team like it has been the last few years with five stars and with Hunter Dickinson. It is a team out there. It's an, it's like whoever's open gets the ball. They can all shoot. They can pretty much all shoot from three. Like this is this is a team that can score. It's a team that can score, so I think that it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good year. They're gonna surprise a lot of people. They're surprising me so far. I understand it's only three games in, but man, if you watch those three games compared to every game last year, it's a night and day team. Like I said, this team will make the NCAA tournament and will be, I think, in the end, a top four team in the Big Ten. Will they win the Big Ten? I would say that's way too early to say, and I think Purdue has the big-time edge. But to be top four in the Big Ten this year, to maybe be like a four-seed, five-seed in the NCAA tournament, I could realistically see, and to get back to to winning and being being relevant again after last year is... Is a huge improvement. Like I said, and maybe in three months, this is a team that could contend for it all, depending on how everyone develops. Like I said, it is a night and day team. They are not star-driven. They pass the ball. They can all shoot the ball from three especially and even mid-range. They all have good touch. Doug McDaniel is going to be a stud for us like this is a team that could that's going to do some stuff. It's going to surprise some people. It surprised me already. So, it's good to see. It's good to see them back to where they should be after the after last year. Last year was abysmal. Last year was rough. It was rough. Even watching a game, it was just a rough it was not a good experience watching a uh Michigan Wolverines basketball game last year. It was slow, it was grinded out, it was close, it was it was not good. This team is far superior to last year's team. So, it's going to be fun to watch now at least again going forward. Like I said, they're going to surprise some people. They're going to do pretty well in the Big 10 and they should and they will uh make the tournament this year, which is which right now is all I'm asking for to contend again in the Big Ten and to make the NCAA tournament. Because once you get to the NCAA tournament, it's six games for your life and anything can happen. So, uh, yeah. A lot of stuff this week happened. A lot of stuff coming up this week coming up. I know Michigan, well, Michigan basketball will have a few games. Uh, The Lions on Sunday are home against the Bears. Michigan We'll see what happens with Harbaugh, but Michigan will be at Maryland on Sun on Saturday. That once again is the big noon kickoff. I just saw. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the podcast for today. Uh, thanks for what? Uh, f- thanks for listening. Um, subscribe however you're listening. Comment, uh, yeah, and I'll see everybody next time.